0: today on CityCast DC. Well, it's official. The tipped wage will be on the DC ballot this November. So we put out a poll on Twitter, and though half of you were all about eliminating the tipped wage, the other half was mostly undecided. So I'm guessing that means y'all need more information. Luckily, Michael Bryce Sadler from the Washington Post is here to deliver. It's Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. Thank you so much for being here, Michael. I know that I-82 is officially going to be on the ballot in DC. What is it?
1: I-82 is a ballot initiative, uh, and it's actually a reprisal of a similar effort from 2018, which would gradually eliminate what's called the tipped minimum wage in DC. So while the standard minimum wage in DC is $16.10 an hour currently, the tipped minimum wage is $5.35 per hour. And how that works for tipped workers is essentially tips are supposed to make up the difference. And whoever is the owner of an establishment is supposed to pay their workers. The tipped minimum wage with the rest being subsidized through the tips to get to that $16 uh, in 10 cents an hour. Throughout the United States, this is the most common way to pay tipped workers. There are a handful of states that just have everybody paid the same minimum wage, uh, but that's not the case in D.C. So some proponents of this initiative who want to see that system change are trying to overhaul the system, and that's what's going to be on the ballot in November.
0: So I'm having almost like a little bit of deja vu because I remember we already had this conversation and voted on this back in 2018. What's different about this time?
1: Well, the initiative is exactly the same, Uh, save for the minimum wage figures. It's the exact same initiative. The difference this time around is that there's more optimism on the side of the proponents that uh, nothing bad is going to happen, because if you recall in 2018, 55% 55% of the city's voters voted in favor of getting rid of the tipped minimum wage. And it passed. The advocates were happy. And then the D.C. council a few months later actually overturned that vote. So there is uh, there's still a tipped minimum wage in D.C. despite the fact that this was already voted on. So now it's back and the advocates are hopeful that the council won't take that type of action again, assuming voters uh, approve it once again.
0: Where do you think that optimism is coming from?
1: at least three members of the council who voted to overturn the initiative in 2018 are no longer part of the legislature they were either voted out or have left for one reason or another Um, so that helps the council has shifted further to the left and this is certainly seen as a more progressive initiative that would really change how businesses operate in dc so the fact that the council has shifted and looks different has given them encouragement then you have uh, of course the chair of the council phil mendelson who was among the individuals who really led the charge to repeal this after it passed in 2018. He's up for re-election this year when asked at candidate forums uh, if he would do the same thing and overturn the will of the voters, potentially, he has said that he would not do it. So that has given the proponents a lot of confidence, it remains to be seen what actually will happen, but um, that's part of the reason why they're looking more optimistically this time around.
0: Yeah, so... Even though we have a lot of Washingtonians expressing support for this, why has it been such a battle to get it back on the ballot? And who are the figures who are fighting it?
1: Sure. So you have a lot of big players in the city's restaurant industry, including the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington, and you have some restaurant owners uh, a lot of people with a lot of stakes in what happens with this decision who are not in favor of the change mainly because they say that a change like this to basically give all of their workers a fixed minimum wage would increase costs not only for the restaurants but also for customers who come and dine at the restaurants they say menu prices will go up is
0: that actually true like are these restaurant owners and other stakeholders are they saying that but like will remain to be seen TBD, who knows? Or is that like actually a true thing?
1: It's kind of a TBD. There's certainly some data out there, although I don't know if there's a lot of strong data out there about how this would change things, especially in D.C., You have people on both sides of this issue basically saying that all of the data points around it back up their view of the issue. So I think there's a lot of passion around it and it's hard to say with confidence what it would or wouldn't mean, but I think there is universal agreement that this would lead to more costs for restaurants. And it raises the question of what that would mean on the part of the customer, whether they would continue to tip, whether they would tip less. And the take-home pay for workers, I think, is certainly a question mark. I have heard from workers on both sides of this issue who think it would either lead to more pay or less overall. I don't know what the answer is, and I think that's going to be litigated a lot more in the next couple of months.
0: That's so interesting. Maybe you don't have an answer for this, but if you had to say, when it comes to restaurant workers, are the majority of them for this or against this?
1: So what's interesting about this year is up until now, really, there hasn't been a lot of vocal proponents or opponents of this issue the opponents have been working really hard to keep this from being on the ballot in the first place. For several months now, they've been in various courts in DC and at the Board of Elections trying to challenge this, arguing that the proponents who introduced this didn't collect enough signatures, or didn't do it properly, that the Board of Election didn't tabulate those signatures properly, and thus it, it shouldn't be on the ballot in the first place. But as it has become clear that this is actually going to be on the ballot, we're starting to hear a bit more from people. Um, you have the opponents who've set up Facebook and Twitter pages with testimonials from tipped workers saying, this would be horrible. This would lead to less take-home pay for me. Don't do it. And then the proponents on their end, they're starting to order signs and try to get people excited about this so they can hopefully, in their view, get people to uh, vote out this system again. It's time
0: to get dressed up, D.C. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in D.C. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sums Food Pantry grab tickets before they're gone at sumorg slash spring soiree that's s-o-m-e dot o-r-g slash spring see you there So right now, you know, without I-82, servers are, I guess, theoretically, supposed to be getting a guaranteed minimum wage, right? If they don't get it from TIPS, the owners and employers are legally required to make up that difference. Whether they actually do or not, I guess that's a, a, an open question. But I guess if employees are right now supposed to be legally guaranteed to get equal payment, why would people be pushing so hard for this? And what difference would I-82 make to the employees' lives?
1: Sure. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to this issue of wage theft. And that's one of the main factors and motivations for people who want to see a change here. Um, Because as you know, the tips are supposed to go to the workers, definitely to fulfill the minimum wage requirement, but even beyond that. But the system for calculating that and tabulating that on the restaurant side is a little bit opaque, and I think confusing. And the suggestion from the proponents is that it leaves room For perhaps some nefarious activity when it comes to actually giving workers the tips that they had earned. So, I think in some cases, you have workers who say they're not getting the full minimum wage or or have alleged that whoever they're working for has maybe kept some of the tips or not allocated them in the way they're legally required to do. So, that's a very real issue. And that's something that they're concerned about. And their stance is that if there is a standard minimum wage and they're getting paid that fixed amount, then they wouldn't have to worry about all of the math that goes behind calculating the subsidy with the tips.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. How like it would just take that equation off of their plates to sort out and be, and be just normalized throughout the industry.
1: Right, and then they would still get tips on top of that. So the thinking is that tipping at that point actually becomes a real form of gratuity and showing that this extra money is for great service or or something you know above and beyond rather than this is the only way I'm going to make sure I get paid. So it changes that at least. And when you look at the context of the pandemic and what restaurant workers went through, especially when they were asked to enforce mask mandates, when they were asked to enforce social distancing uh, rules and different restrictions, um, what the proponents will say is that in a lot of cases led to fewer tips or less tips. So this would help rectify that because Whether customers agree with them enforcing rules or not, um, they would just get paid the minimum wage.
0: That's such a good point about the pandemic and sort of a lot of the work we have asked service workers to just absorb outside of the scope of like what you got into the restaurant industry to be doing. Like you didn't necessarily think you were going to be a mask enforcer or a bouncer or something like that. And like if your ability to make a decent wage is tied to having to do these things that some customers don't want to do, it does put you as the service worker in a really tricky situation.
1: Totally. Totally. You, I couldn't have said it better. You have to not only enforce these rules because that's the city law, but then you have to worry about, well, how is this going to affect my tips? And what the, what the uh, advocates and people who are in favor of this will say is a lot of times that led to less tips overall.
0: Yeah. I, I could totally understand that. And I also just think like, Even if you have horrible service, there's an understanding that if I don't tip, this person's probably not going to make any kind of money. And so we've just sort of removed tipping from actually being a gratuity to reward good service. It's just like nobody's not going to tip.
1: Right. I mean, one of the concerns from the Restaurant Association and others who oppose this is that with tipping, what they say is, at least with tips, these workers oftentimes took home much more than the minimum wage. And if there is a a standard minimum wage and perhaps customers are less inclined to tip or feel like they don't need to tip as much, then their overall take-home pay is actually going to get lower. So it feels like an impossible question to know exactly what will happen. But I think it's reasonable to say that if this passes and work gets around and people start to learn, okay, this person's salary is not determined by how much I tip them, it could lead to a difference in behavior. So it really would be interesting to see what happens.
0: Yeah, I did read that the mean hourly salary right now for servers is $23, and the minimum wage is sixteen ten. So currently in D.C., according to these stats, servers are making more than the minimum wage, but that's the mean, right? So obviously that's not the case for everybody.
1: Exactly. I was going to say the same. If you're looking at the mean, then certainly there are people on the lower end of that spectrum who perhaps aren't meeting that mark. So yeah, it, it really is a fascinating conversation and one that I think in the coming weeks, especially as ballots start getting into people's mailboxes and we get closer to November, you are going to start to see a little bit more of what we saw in 2018, which was signs on windows in restaurants, a lot of like excitement and boisterous uh, noise from the restaurant industry and workers about this because it really would be a dramatic change.
0: Yeah, I was just going to ask, I know in 2018, you saw buttons and posters and flyers and stickers when you went out to eat. And I haven't really seen a lot of that this time around. And I guess I'm wondering, do you think we're going to be set up to have that same
1: kind of public fight again? I do wonder just how much it's going to grow. I think the noise and excitement absolutely will grow. Like, both sides of the issue have said that's going to happen. And they're figuring out right now, how are they going to educate voters about this? What are their awareness strategies going to look like? We've seen ads online pop up. You might see some no to I-82 groups posting ads on Facebook and elsewhere as we get closer. So it's really difficult for me to say whether we'll meet what we saw in 2018. I think that a few things are different this time around. One, The restaurant industry, especially those against this measure, will say, we are so focused on just trying to stay open on any given night to make sure that we can be open tomorrow. And that everything, especially because they've been so battered by the pandemic as the city's entire restaurant industry has, like we don't have the energy or the bandwidth or the resources to really fight against this. So that's the difference. And then I think another element of that is this court battle that has taken place. It's just like exhausted resources on both ends, financial resources, legal fees, court fees, things like that. So I think now that that is finalized, the legal aspect of this is done. The opponents tried to appeal multiple times and failed. Now all attention is about educating voters on what this actually means. And both ends think that They have what it takes to encourage voters to go with the outcome that they want to see.
0: Well, it'll be really interesting to see how this all shakes out. Thank you so much for being here, Michael.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to be on. Also looking forward to seeing how this shakes out.
0: And before you go, some quick news. Four Philadelphia Eagles fans are coming after the Washington Commanders. In court, that is. They're suing the team because of an accident at FedEx Field last season. The fans had been reaching over a railing to high-five the Eagles quarterback when the railing collapsed and they tumbled. They say they suffered a bunch of injuries, including long-term physical and emotional effects. The four defendants are also suing the company that manages FedEx Field and the companies that secure, repair, and inspect the stadium. In more positive sports news, Metro's latest smart trip cards celebrate the reigning National Women's Soccer League champions, the Washington Spirit. These are limited editions, so you might want to upgrade that card soon. They're not available online, only at a few stations, Navy Yard, Waterfront, and Gallery Place. And keeping this positivity train rolling, Metro's first few days with severe blue and yellow line cuts actually seem to be going pretty smoothly. It's pretty rare that we get to say good things about Metro, so we gotta make sure that we document this win for sure. And that is today's episode of CityCast DC. While you're out for dinner tonight, be sure to tip your server and tip off your friends about our show. They can follow us on any podcast apps or Spotify. And subscribe to our newsletter at dc.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow with even more news from around the city. Bye for now.